together this morning, chapter 8. We had studied this beginning part of this chapter a few weeks ago. We're going to get back into uh, to our text this morning. And, you know, it, it's interesting to me. Um, I preach, maybe you're new to grace or maybe you're visiting today, but, but I, I preach expository messages, which means this. I take Scripture one paragraph at a time or so. And we've been preaching through the book of Luke, and what is amazing to me, I do that, by the way, for lots of, for lots of reasons. Number one, keeps me off what I call soapbox theology. You know, you pick your favorite irritation in life and preach about that over and over and over and over and over again, okay? Not going to do that, because I'm called to preach the whole counsel of God, okay? So number one, it keeps you off soapbox theology. Number two, it keeps verses in their context, Okay, we, we're very good at times of taking verses out of their context and preaching them, and it doesn't mean what we sometimes think it means. Number three, it keeps me from somebody saying, I know why you preach that message. You preach that because of me. I preached it because it's next. It's just next. If it targeted you, talk to God. It's next. Okay? But number four, It's always amazing to see God's sovereignty and where we land throughout the course of a book. We land where we need to land. I didn't plan to land on this text on the morning that we were going to highlight WCA. If you've been around here long enough, you know that a message for me starts as one and ends up as two or three or more. So by God's design, we landed right here. And I cannot think of a better message for us to consider as we think about, take, okay, we're highlighting WCA, great, good, wonderful. Put that over there for a second. Because today, we're going to talk about ministry. Jesus Christ died to institute the church, not the Christian school. He bought the church with his blood, and under the church, as Harold alluded to this, under the church there are ministries that come out from the church ministry that are for one purpose, and that is to bring glory to God. We are to make and mature disciples for the glory of God, and one way that Grace Baptist Church does that is through our Christian school ministry. But what is fascinating to me is whether you are a teacher, whether you are a parent, whether you are a grandparent, whoever you are sitting in the auditorium this morning, you are a member of the church if you are a believer. You're a Christian. You are a member of the church. And every one of us sitting in this room is called, are you ready, to serve and to minister for the glory of God. That's what we're called to do. We're not called to have a school so we can employ lots of people and and give them a job so they make money. Yeah, they need to get paid. They need to meet their needs. Absolutely. But it's not for the purpose of, of financial stability. It is for the purpose of ministry. What do we do? What do we do in a culture that seems to have lost its way? What do we do in a culture that doesn't seem interested in the gospel and sometimes increasingly 
our culture becomes even hostile to the message of the gospel. Well, we do what Jesus said in Luke 8. Look in verse 4. It says this, And when much people were gathered together and were come to him out of every city, he spake by a parable. Notice verse 4. You've got another large group of people as Jesus is going about and ministering. There are people that are, that are coming to hear his instruction. And notice Luke tells us that as he begins to explain this passage, he says that Jesus is going to teach in the form of a parable. A parable was used to make a spiritual point. The word parable literally means to put one thing alongside another for the purpose of comparison. It is a short and simple story that is designed to communicate a spiritual truth through the, isu- through the usage of a comparison or a simile. Now, in the Greco-Roman world, we're not going to get into this, but this was a common thing. They would do this, and they would do it to make instruction, to make points. But there's something bigger here for Jesus. Notice verse 5. He begins to tell this parable. He says, A sower went out to sow his seed, and as he sowed, some fell by the side, and it was trodden down, and the fowls of the air devoured it. And some fell upon a rock, and as soon as it was sprung up, it withered away because it lacked moisture. And some among thorns, and thorns sprang up with it and choked it. And others fell on good ground and sprang up and bare fruit a hundredfold. And when he had said these things, he cried, He hath ears to hear, let him hear. Let's take a look this morning as we begin at the parable of the seed among the soils. In this first section, Jesus here talks about this imagery of planting. The soil, if you've ever been to Israel, if you've ever been to Palestine, there are rocks and thorns everywhere. If you've ever been over there and you read the Old Testament, it talks about, you know, striking your toe on a rock or tripping over. It's like until you get there and you see these stones and rocks that are just riddled throughout all of the land, it begins to make sense. But the picture here is that Jesus is going to use this illustration of sowing seeds, of sowing seeds. And notice in this story, I hit the button way too many times. That wasn't supposed to do that. Um, notice the seeds here that, that, he, that he talks about. Something happened. We'll go with it. Um, the parable, first of all, the seed by the road in verse number five. The seed by the road. This was seed that landed on a path. There would be pathways that were in between the different uh, the different fields where they would plant seed where it would grow. And what would happen is the sower who would have a bag of seed would go along and he would, he would throw the seed. Some of it would land on the road. And so there is seed that lands on the road. And Jesus says it is going to be destroyed. This is where people walked. It's where they traveled. This was a beaten down path that was between the cultivated land. It is a picture of a hardened path. The seeds lay on the surface, and they are exposed to people walking on that. They are exposed to birds, Jesus says, that would come in, and they would eat the seed. They would destroy it. These seeds never had a chance to survive. Now, as we read through these different soils, I want you to notice the uh, preposition. Look at the word um, by the road. It's beside it. It's beside the road. Notice the second one, verse 6. It is the seed that is on the rock. This is on the topsoil that would have been covered in limestone, and it withers away. 
The rocky ground, what they would do is they would turn the soil over and some of the rocks would go under the ground, but there were times that a seed would fall in a place where the root could not get all the way down into the soil and it would start to grow, it would start to germinate, but it would hit the rock and it couldn't, it couldn't take hold. This seed grew, but it didn't survive. This seed would begin to grow, verse 6, it would spring up, but it withers away because it lacks nutrition, it lacks the ability to be sustained. The next one he gives us is those that fall among thorns, where thorns and weeds abound. The seed is at a disadvantage as it competes for the nutrients in the soil. If your yard is like mine, the, the weeds do a great job of growing. They're very, very good at that. And the weeds will, will take the nutrition out of the soil and it will cause the seeds to not be able to grow. These prickly weeds, they were useless, but they were harmful to the cropland. The seed begins to grow, but it is choked out by competition. Notice it is in the midst of thorns. It's in the middle of it. And then in verse 8, he says that there is soil that lands on good soil that is allowed to grow. It is allowed to germinate. Notice verse 8, it says, and it springs up and it bears fruit a hundredfold. In other words, it is very productive. It falls into the good soil. This seed grew successfully because it penetrated the soil and it has the ability to grow and to mature. At the end of verse 8, he says, he that has ears to hear, let him hear. So that's the parable. But now notice verse 9, it says, and the disciples asked him, saying, what might this parable be? Now everybody that would have been there would have understood this from an agricultural perspective. They would have understood that when you go out and you sow seeds, some of them are going to land on the road, they're going to be killed, they're going to be walked on, they're not going to survive. Some are going to fall in an area that go down into the rock, they're going to die. There are some that are going to be choked out by the thorns, and yep, get that, some of it's going to bring forth fruit, great. They understood that agriculturally. But remember, a parable is something that is a comparison. It is two things placed together as a simile using a physical illustration to make a spiritual point. And so the disciples come and they ask this question, what does this mean? Notice verse 10, and he says, Unto you it is given to know the mysteries of the kingdom of God, but to others in parables that seeing they might not see and hearing they might not understand. Jesus says, I am giving you this parable so that you would understand the mysteries of the kingdom of God. These mysteries that Jesus is alluding to is heavenly truth. And he is making an appeal to them that they would understand divine revelation. Deuteronomy 29, 29. We talked about it in Sunday school this morning. The secret things belong unto the Lord our God, but the things that are revealed belong to us and to our children forever, that we may do all the words of this law. Jesus does this, by the way. He quotes Isaiah 6, 9. And he says, go and say to this people, keep on hearing, but there are people that keep on hearing, but they don't understand. They keep on seeing, but they don't perceive. And so Jesus gives the purpose for giving this parable. And he says, there are some that will hear and will not understand. There are others that will hear and they will believe. So now he takes the soils in verse 11 and he says this, by the way, Another, another exegetical issue or, or way we approach the Bible is this. When the Bible 
sometimes we take these par- like you've heard this, right? If you, have, if you haven't heard this, count your blessings. I've heard a message before about the five rocks that David had, you know, when he goes into battle with Goliath. And I've heard a pastor say, now the five rocks stand for this. One rock is faith, one rock is love, one rock is whatever. And I'm just saying that's absolutely baloney, okay? The text doesn't say that. One, theo- one theology professor I had said, you're sucking it out of your thumb. Okay, you're making that up. That the Bible doesn't say that. You are reading something in there that you wish was there, but it's not. Okay, but here, oh, I wonder what this means. I wonder what Jesus tells us. He says, here is what this parable means. Number one, verse 11, the seed is the word of God. He says, I'm not teaching you principles about agriculture. I am teaching you a principle about ministry. He says, the seeds here, the seeds that are sown, they are the word of God. And notice, he now goes, he goes into a description of the soils and begins to tell us the different responses that people are going to have to the proclamation of the word of God. Now let's stop before we go further and look at the soils and ask this question. What is our responsibility? You can talk. What is our responsibility? To do what? Sow the seed. I am called by God to be a faithful sower of the word of God. If that is a Christian school teacher, you do it in the Christian school. If it is in your home, you do it in your home. It's in your place of business. It is to your neighbors. You are called to spread the seed of the gospel. And if you don't, you are disobeying God. And by the way, this is the job of the ministry. Not the school, the church, us, together. And so he says, look, you have to be a, and and here's the problem. Well, you know, pastor, I don't say anything because I can't make them believe. You're right. You're right. Well, I don't say anything because you're a pastor and you know everything. Well, I know I do, but no, I'm kidding. (laughs) No, I don't know everything. Okay. Well, you're a pastor, and you would just say it so much better. <clears throat> Strike two. Well, you know, I might not say it exactly right, and if I don't say it exactly right, they might not believe. <clears throat> Strike three, you're out. Lame excuses, all three of them. It is not your job to determine response. It is your job to sow the seed. And so we could come up with all the lame excuses. Well, they might not listen. They might not believe. Okay, you're not God. You're not the Holy Spirit. You think Christy manipulated those kids last year that she sat down and wrote in her journal, I'm praying that people in my class come to Christ, and then she started manipulating so that they would respond? No. You're not the Holy Spirit. But you are a servant. And you are called to sow the seed of the gospel. Notice he goes through these responses and he says, those that, those that fall by the wayside are they that hear that cometh the devil and he taketh away the word out of their hearts lest they should believe and be saved. He says, first of all, there is a spiritual battle for their souls. And there are times that satanic influences, the devil himself comes in and he keeps them from believing. These are those who just outright reject the gospel. They don't want to hear it. They don't want to believe. Have you ever... 
the jail ministry folks were telling me this this week. They were at the jail trying to minister to people and interruption after interruption after interruption. Has that ever happened to you? Have you ever sat down with somebody and said, you know, I want to talk to you about something and, um, and you're coming to the point where you're going to ask them to believe and their phone rings or something happened? We've all been there. He says, first of all, the ones that fall by the wayside, they hear, but the devil comes and he takes away the word out of their hearts, lest they believe. Verse 13, they on the rock are they which are, which when they hear, they receive the word with joy. And these have no root, which, which, which for a while believe and in time temptation fall away. He says the second group, notice, they receive the word with joy. They're all giddy and excited. This is great, really? Wow, Jesus can save me and they have all this excitement, but then trials come and guess what? Their salvation, their response was superficial and based on emotion. It was not genuine belief. So they fall away. They wither up and they die. There was no legitimacy to their faith. Their faith was based on emotion. Their faith was based on, on, on uh, superficialities. And we all know that folks, sometimes they come and they get excited. They get giddy and they come and they're excited about Christ and the Bible and faith. And then a few weeks later, they're gone. They didn't truly believe. They were not authentically born again. Notice he goes on, verse 14, and they which fell among thorns thorns are they which when they have heard go forth and are choked with the cares and riches and pleasures of this life and bring no fruit to perfection. It says, then there are those that have some kind of, again, superficial response, but over time, they just get caught up in the things of the world. There are things that are more important, um, pleasure, comfort, things of the world. And so they also have a superficial uh, faith that's not genuine. They don't bring forth fruit. And over a period of time, it is choked out. And they give, they give proclamation by their life that they, in fact, did not genuinely believe. It was also based on some kind of superficial idea that is choked out by the cares of this world. There are things that are just more important. Okay, I was mowing my grass yesterday, and I have a, a spot in the backyard, and you mow, the, you mow, and it's very thick, and it chokes out the mower. Over time, the blade just kind of can't spin fast enough to keep the engine going, and slowly but surely, the engine is choked out. But notice, he says in verse 15, But on the good ground are they which in an honest and good heart, having heard the word, keep it and bring forth fruit with patience. He says, don't give up hope. Yes, there are those who when you preach the gospel to them, they don't want to hear it. They outright reject you. Maybe they call you names. Whatever they do, they reject it. They don't want to hear it. They have no interest in hearing it. The devil comes in, steals that away. There are those that have a giddy, joyful, superficial response, and over time, they don't prove to be genuine in their faith. There are those that start really strong, and then the cares of the world, the difficulties come, the the trials of life come, and they are proven to be not genuine in their faith either. But, but, there is seed that falls on rich soil, 
This is a receptive heart. It produces fruit. The farmer's failures are offset by the abundance of this harvest. John 8, 31, that Jesus said to those Jews who believed in him, if you abide in my word, you are my disciples indeed. This, so- this soil produces a sustained level of growth that withstands all po- possible assaults. Okay, if you look back at verse uh, 14 or, or, or verse uh, 13, hey, the word temptation there is trials. In other words, when trials come, same word used in James chapter 1. When trials come, they kind of, yeah, the buzz is over, the good, feel good issue is over, and so they're just on with their way. This faith in verse 15, these are those that are sustaining their faith. There is evidence. Notice the word, he says, their heart is honest. The word literally means beautiful, excellent, sustainable. Admirable. Now we know we know that all of our hearts are desperately wicked. We we know that. Our hearts are sinful, our hearts are, are wicked by nature, but this heart is one that is receptive. It is open to the proclamation of God's word. Notice this heart is also good. It is agreeable. And he says that they keep it. The word means to keep possession of it. It means it doesn't go away. It's firm. It's settled. And note that they are the word who keep it with patience. Now, when we read our English word patience, we get, the, we get a wrong picture of what the Greek word means. Okay? It's not talking about being patient with somebody who's irritating you. Okay? The word means to be steadfast. It means endurance. This is a patient, enduring, sustaining, perseverance. In the New Testament, it is the characteristic of a man who is not swerved from his deliberate purpose and his loyalty to faith and piety by even the greatest trials and sufferings. It means this, that when trials come, their faith is deepened. When difficulties happen in life, and they will, their faith, they don't give it up. They grow closer to God. They begin to bear more fruit. Their lives demonstrate that they are genuine, authentic in their belief. Some of the other translations, listen to a couple of others. NIV translates it, by persevering, produce a crop. Nasby, this way, and bear fruit with perseverance. Luke 8 uh, in, in Holman, and by enduring, bear fruit. The net, and bear fruit with steadfast endurance. They are ones who persevere in their faith. They are ones who genuinely believe the gospel. Our job is to sow the seeds of the gospel. I can't determine the soil. I can help cultivate it. I can certainly, hopefully, help and pray that their heart is receptive. But the variable in sharing the gospel is the receptiveness receptiveness of the person's heart. Our job is to speak the gospel. Truth isn't mean, and love isn't dishonest. We speak the truth, and we speak in love. That is why Jeremiah said this. He said, for thus saith the Lord to the men of Judah and Jerusalem, break up your fallow ground and sow not among thorns. 
circumcise yourselves to the Lord and take away the foreskins of your heart, ye men of Judah and inhabitants of Jerusalem, lest my fury come forth like fire and burn that none may quench it because of the evil of your doings. He says, you better prepare your own heart. So let's apply it this way. Number one, there are people who are receptive to the gospel. Have you forgotten that? The gospel of Jesus Christ is still the only way of salvation. And there are people that will believe. There are people that will respond. There are people whose heart is tender to the preaching of God's word. And they will believe. We were speaking at a camp last week. And for Wednesday night, I shared this a little bit with you guys. And this counselor came up to me and and she said, I'm really concerned about um, one of the girls in my cabin. Um, said, you know, she's been cutting herself. She's been doing a variety of things from a very difficult home life. And so I said, well, if I have, she said, would you talk to her? And I said, of course. And you talk about divine intervention. We're standing there talking. And this young lady, the girl she was talking about, walks over and comes right in between us and starts talking to her counselor. And she's like, and so I, um, I said, oh, you know, what grade are you in? I'm in, you know, eighth grade or whatever. And, and we started talking where you go to school. She lived in, you know, New Jersey, someplace like that. And so we started talking. And what do you like to do in school? And the conversation just started to take on a life of its own. So I went over and we sat on this, on this little block wall that they have. And we're talking. And, and um, I, said, I said, do you know Christ is your Savior? You know if you died today, she says, Oh, God can't save me. I said, why do you say that? And so she, she pulls out this notebook. And she had made columns on the page where on one column it was who she was. And on the other column it was who she wanted to be. And I don't remember too much about the column that said what she wanted to be. But the column of what she was, it was, you know, worthless. Familiar words, right? Worthless useless, nobody loves me, God can't love me. And, and she had all these really kind of dark ideas. And so I'll give you the abbreviated story. We sat out there for probably 45 minutes or so talking about that. She showed me different pictures she had drawn and different things. And, and we just talked and she, would, she was listening like she was glued on every word that I said. The next night, Thursday night, they have a campfire service where it's out in the woods and kids can come and give testimonies. And this little girl walks up and she says, last night I accepted Christ as my Savior. That next day, she comes up to me and she says, she has her notebook. She says, I got a new page. She said, remember the one I showed you yesterday? This is who I am in Christ. I said, you're right. And you're going to take that page and you're going to tear it out and you're going to put it on your wall and you're never going to forget it. Christ saved your soul. Well, nobody listens anymore because we don't tell them. How will they hear unless we proclaim the gospel? We get real comfortable in playing Christian. Coming in and doing our thing. And you know, unsaved people might come in here and mess stuff up. Jesus said, I came for those who are sick. And they are dying. And they are going to hell. Do you actually believe that? We live like we don't. Yeah, I got some seeds in my pocket, but I'm not 
I'm not sowing any seeds. They might yell at me. Yeah. They might think I'm an idiot. So? Well, I'm embarrassed. Then it's really about you. Sow the seed. Some will fall on ground that is ready to hear and ready to believe. Now, I will tell you, I will tell you, I, I, I put down two illustrations here, I was thinking about this. I'll just share one for a second time. I remember being in a church service. You, you may come and say, you know, Pastor Jay, I just don't like your, I don't like your invitation. I've heard that. Um, they're not long enough, they're not good enough, Whatever. I remember being in a church with an evangelist. He manipulated everybody to where the whole place, by the way, we don't have an altar, we don't, we don't kill animals. They're lined up, and there's one man right here in the middle standing there like this. After about 15 minutes of the invitation, the evangelist finally gave up. And I overheard, I wasn't a pastor, I was just, you know, a church member. I overheard him tell the pastor, man, I just couldn't get that guy down there. No matter what I said, I just couldn't get him. Well, that guy happened to be a friend of mine. That friend of mine said, if he thinks he's going to manipulate me and get me down there, there's no way I'm moving. I will never manipulate you. I will never play on your emotion. I will never do that. It is a work of the Holy Spirit of God that convicts a person of their sin and shows them their need for salvation. I can't manipulate that. I can't produce that. And if I do, they may come and have a good cry and go home damned to hell. I will not do that. It comes from a changed heart. So why? Why? Why do we have a school? So we can more effectively sow the seeds of the gospel. There are families that will walk onto this campus for the first time on Thursday who've never heard the gospel before. And it's our job to sow the seed of the gospel. Manipulate them, make them believe. Nope. But we will sow the seed. We will pray for them. We will encourage them to believe. We will give them every opportunity. Pastor, why are we talking about building this building so we can sow more seeds? Why are we talking about building that building and and reworking our auditorium and making it nicer? It's not about the building. You're right. But you know what? If we're going to sow seeds effectively, we have to improve this. If we want to sow the seeds to more families, wouldn't it be great to have more families come and accept Christ and then see them become a part of our church family? And oh, by the way, not just to do that through the school, but to do that through the church. Imagine with me, if we purposefully, individually got better at sowing and more faithful at sowing the seeds of the gospel to the people that we know, and 1% of Wilmington came to know Christ, wouldn't that be great? 
I got my seed. I'm not sowing it. They might not dress the way I like when they come to church. So what? Well, they might not like something. Stop. Please. Sow the gospel. Sow the seed. Some will believe. Our job is to sow it. Here, here's a chance where we can be liberals. We can sow the seed liberally. Understanding that not all teaching and preaching will produce the response in all people. We can't control the response, but we can control spreading the seed. When people reject, the problem is not with the seed. People reject because they are unreceptive and hard and rebellious. We don't manipulate a response. We sow the seed by preaching the word. The Holy Spirit brings genuine conviction and repentance rather than an emotional, shallow response. By the way, Jesus' picture here is looking at a person over their whole lifetime. It's not looking at one particular moment. Have you, you've met people, right, where you've said, man, you give them the gospel, and it's like they are hard. Hard, hard, hard. And then, like, years later, maybe you've lost contact with them, and you find out, you know who got saved? You know who came to Christ? And you hear the name, and it's like, really? They, they, they were hard. That's right. Remember, Paul said, sometimes we sow the seed, somebody else waters, and somebody else sees the fruit come of that person. Our job is to sow it. Now, here's the, here's the last question, and we'll close. How's the soil... In your heart. Satan can snatch what has been sown. Roots can fail to penetrate the ground. And thorns can suffocate growth. But one who moves beyond a superficial and emotional understanding will grow, bear fruit, and persevere in the faith. They will. Remember, John said they went out from among us because they really were not of us. Spiritual growth, okay, so that's the one side. For someone to believe, maybe you're here this morning and you've never put your faith in Christ. You've never believed that. You've never recognized that you're a sinner in need of a Savior. You've never believed that. And right now, as I'm talking, there's something in your life and in your heart where you're standing there and you're like, yeah, that's me. Pastor Jay, you're talking to me. I don't know if I'm going to heaven. I I don't know if, if I've ever accepted Christ. I can't think of a time that I have believed. Or, or maybe you made a profession of faith once upon a time, and now you're just kind of, eh. I had a kid tell me at this camp in Pennsylvania, tell me that when they were like five years old, their parents sat them down and made them believe. Don't ever do that. So maybe you're here, and the soil of your heart is receptive. But secondly, spiritual growth requires submission to hearing the gospel message too. In other words, as believers, we can't lose our salvation. Salvation is an eternal decision. But we can become calloused. And we can become ritualistic. And we can become routine. And we can become 
just set in our ways to the point that the gospel's preached and, and, and somebody, me or somebody else, preaches, preaches the word of God and you're just kind of, yeah, not really listening or maybe you are, but it's kind of just bouncing off your heart. It's kind of like concrete. It just hits it and, and bangs off. Somebody told me, I read a story, somebody tried to shoot an armadillo and the bullet hit the, hit the armor and bounced back and hit them. Maybe that's kind of like your heart. God's, the, the bullets of the gospel are coming at you, and there's, there's things in your life that need to change, but you become, yeah, I'm a believer, I'm going to heaven, I'm good, I don't need any of this other stuff. And, and the conviction of the Holy Spirit is just kind of hitting the outer shell of your heart and just bouncing all over the room because you're not listening. You have to cultivate your heart. Break up the fallow ground that is in your heart and be receptive to the preaching of the word of God, even as a believer. So, in closing, let me ask you this question. How faithful, how faithfully are you sowing the seeds of the gospel? And I don't mean that, again, manipulation, I'm not doing that. I'm just asking. How are you sowing the seeds of the gospel? You doing it faithfully? Or have you become convinced that Nobody's going to listen anyway. Or I might get made fun of. Sow the seed of the gospel. Number two, if you're here without Christ and God is working in your heart, I beg you to respond to the conviction that's in your heart and believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you shall be saved. Number three, if you're a believer and your heart has become calloused, Break up the fallow ground of your heart and understand that we as believers must faithfully proclaim the gospel and pray for receptive soil. Let's pray together.